Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Well, today we have a special treat. Uh, if you're new with us, just got back into town, took a month off uh, for part of it, vacation with my family, and then a couple weeks for just study and retreat and planning for the season ahead. And so I invite our dear friend, Greg Gansel, to join us today. And if you don't know Greg, yeah, Greg, give a hand. If you don't know Greg, he's one of our leaders here at The Vine. He's on our church council, and he is also a professor of philosophy at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. And so, of course, he's extremely brilliant, uh, but he's also someone who really loves Jesus deeply and loves his church. And so we're just always so blessed to have him share with us. And so let's let's welcome him again, Dr. Greg Gansel. <laughs> and let's pray together. So, Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would speak to us through it now, that it would come alive for us in a fresh way. Lord, would you give us ears to hear your voice this morning? Would you give us open hearts to receive and to respond? We just pray your blessing upon Greg and that you would speak through him now. Bless him, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Michael. It's great to see you again. I told Michael this morning that it's a new experience for Jeannie and me when we're gone to miss church, but we miss being here. Um, Jeannie's not able to be with us. She's at her uncle's funeral up in Chico, but it's very good to be back. So um, next slide. I once saw a bumper sticker that said, language is not transparent. And I thought for a few minutes, and I thought, it's transparent enough because I knew what it was about, right? I thought it wasn't go Red Sox. This was in Connecticut, so there's a high likelihood it's a Red Sox or some political candidate. I knew exactly what the bumper sticker was about, and I glanced it in a moment, driving 55, okay, really 70 miles an hour on the Wilbur Cross Expressway. But it got me thinking, what, what's going on when someone makes a claim like this, that language is not transparent? There are certain, given certain currents of thought in our culture, uh, a person probably is making this claim not about our imaginative use of language in fiction or poetry or in, in the lyrics of songs, but, but it's more about the literal use of language. It's a caution that, that we have to be careful to recognize we might think we're making straightforward claims about reality, but language is not transparent. It kind of reflects what, what we call a postmodern view of language and of truth. The notion that we just can't really have a naive concept about truth. We can't talk about it the way we used to talk about it. All of our truth claims are infected with our cultural assumptions. And, and there, there's a contribution here to our thinking. Language is not perfectly transparent. Right? But in the gospel reading, we see Jesus making what perhaps is his most famous claim about truth. The truth will set you free. This is so famous that there are, are numerous libraries around the world where, where this is carved into the marble. The truth will set 
you free. Right? We're, we're in a series this summer about human freedom, and we're going to talk today about the truth that liberates. Now, there's something wrong with our relationship to truth. We're conflicted. On the one hand, we want to live lives that are sane and reasonable. Everybody wants to be considered a reasonable person, someone who reflects with care. We say we value truth. But on the other hand, we resist anybody who tells us what's true. We also have bumper stickers, question authority. Right? And I always, when I see that bumper sticker, I always want to say, who are you to tell me to question authority, right? <laughs> but, okay, now sermons actually should come with warnings like cigarette packs, right? And, and if there was a warning label on this, it would be a nerd alert, right? Being a philosopher, I'm going to talk about some philosophers. So, um, I'm going to, I'm going to look at three different philosophers talking about our relation to truth. And the first one, the next slide, is a philosopher I'm reading of, is uh, Nietzsche. Now, Nietzsche's known as the godfather of postmodernism. There is a certain interpretation of Nietzsche's work that uh, is prominent in postmodern thinking. He's best known for his claim about the death of God, which if we had lots of time or if I go on a hopeless tangent, I might talk about um, it's, it's, it's one of my favorite passages of philosophical writing. Um, he offers a critique of morality, of truth, of Christianity. But what I'm interested in, in Nietzsche's work, is he introduced an idea called the ascetic ideal. I'll explain what that means, I hope. I will attempt to explain what that means, okay? The ascetic ideal is ascetic like you think of an ascetic as someone who goes out to the desert and and shuns uh, the ordinary comforts of life, pl- pleasure and distraction, um, like the desert fathers who went out to wrestle with the brokenness of their own souls. An ascetic turns away from the ordinary pleasures of life for something more important. And this is what Nietzsche is talking about with the ascetic ideal. But this is also an ideal because this is the ideal that has governed Western thought. And he traces it all the way back to Plato, who said things like, we have to turn away from the physical world if we want a reality which is not physical. Nietzsche talks about Christianity that says, not only do you have to stop loving the world, you actually have to hate the world if you are going to connect with God. He also traces it through modern science, which says the deep structure of reality is so hard, it takes hard work to search it out. And this work is the most important thing we can do. So the ascetic ideal is this idea that in sense, and this These are Nietzsche's words. Truth is divine. And if truth is divine, we have to sacrifice everything for it. Nietzsche's not worried about ordinary truths like, where did I leave my keys? That's not problematic. But it's this deeper metaphysical truth, the hidden truth about reality. He says, if we have this picture that the most important hidden truth is something we have to work hard and search for, this picture is actually oppressive to human beings. It stifles our individuality. It it causes us to turn from our 
pleasure, our imposition of our own will, and it squeezes us into this mold. We have to sacrifice in order to reach something. Truth that lies hidden, that requires pursuit, strangles human flourishing. Thank you. Just in case. Just in case I'm not loud enough. We need a Can we have a couple more microphones up here? Thank you, Alex. So the reason he thinks this is oppressive is that this picture of reality, this picture of truth, teaches us to value truth more than we value our own desires. And we have to, in a sense, subject our desires to something higher. Now, for Nietzsche, this kind of truth does not set us free. It's part of what oppresses us. It keeps us in bondage to an ideal that's outside of us, that's foreign to our human nature. He also recognizes that we have this intrinsic resistance to this picture of reality. We kind of don't want to turn away from ourselves and our what we might call selfish pursuits in order to achieve something else. He calls this ingrained desire, the will to power. So Nietzsche says we question authority because authority kind of impinges on us. It's a, it's a, it's a rule. It's a law that, that stifles us. Okay. Next slide. Second philosopher, Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard is Danish philosopher. I'm, I'm going backwards chronologically. He's a little bit before Nietzsche. There's no evidence that Nietzsche had read Kierkegaard. Um, uh, Danish philosopher known as the father of existentialism. And, and Kierkegaard is, I think, one of the most interesting um, characters in the history of philosophy because he found himself in a, in a country, Denmark, where simply to be born a Dane was to be a Christian. Simply to be there was to be Christian. And the question that tormented his soul, and he had quite the tormented soul, was um, how do we preach the gospel in a context where everybody assumes he or she is already a believer? And and he has this uh, complicated strategy to to help people who think they're okay with God come to see their need. That's kind of his big project. He's an existentialist because he starts with the question, what does it mean to be an existing individual before God? Not what does it mean to be a member of some church? What does it mean to be Danish? All of those things are putting ourselves in a category. I'm I'm Danish, I'm a member of the church, and it's in virtue of that category that I relate to God. He says, no, we are existing individuals relating to God. So that's his his project. So what does Kierkegaard say about truth? He makes, he, he makes a big difference between what we're calling ordinary truths, like do I need another cup of coffee, which is what many of you are thinking right now, and the answer is yes, right? That's objectively true. And what he calls essential truths, 
right? These are the deep truths about what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to know God? And he says that for essential truths, he has a phrase. He calls it, truth is subjectivity. Now, he's not saying truth is subjective. Truth is subjectivity. So let's translate that into English. Um, Kierkegaard is not a relativist about truth. But he says, if I am going to come to know God, I do this in a way that is in part objective, because it's an objective fact that God is real, that God was in Christ reconciling the world. That's true. But my relation to that truth is not just objective, it's subjective. It requires a commitment on my part. I cannot say that I know God unless it changes my life. This knowledge grabs the individual, the subject, and transforms her. In fact, if we are not transformed, then we are not encountering the truth. Where is the subjectivity? I don't know the truth if I just treat it objectively. Now, in our context, we fight a lot with our culture about the, about the idea that truths about God are objective. And we need to defend that view because they are. But Kierkegaard went farther and said they're objective, but they also require more than just abstract knowledge. I don't know God unless I commit myself to God. So Kierkegaard says there's this essential subjectivity. If I don't commit myself to Jesus, I don't know the truth about him. So Nietzsche's right about the fact that we resist truth that impinges on us. We question authority because we want to be our own authority. Kierkegaard is right that knowing God requires a commitment of our life. Knowing facts about the gospel is not enough. Okay, the third philosopher, Jesus. Now, we're not used to thinking of Jesus as a philosopher. He's surely more than a philosopher, but he's not less. He articulated and held for the vision of what does it mean to be human? What is good and true and beautiful? How do we navigate the world? How do we know and rightly relate to God? These are all things that that philosophers talk about. He has a vision of what knowledge is, of what morality is, of what, of what a good human life is. So what does Jesus say about truth and freedom? In the gospel passage, we get that great phrase, the truth will set us free. You will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. Now, if you're a philosopher, like you might think you are by now in the sermon, um, there, there are two basic ways that truth sets us free. And, and, and Jesus would probably affirm these. First, in order to flourish as human beings, we have to have an accurate diagnosis of our condition. Just like when you go to the doctor, the most important part is the diagnosis. Right? You, your blood pressure is high. You want the doctor to get that part right before she starts prescribing medicine. Um, we need an accurate diagnosis. The people to whom Jesus was speaking in this passage had completely misdiagnosed their condition. They thought about freedom only in political terms. 
And remember what the, what the, um, audience said to Jesus. They said, we are offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say the truth will set us free? First of all, we have to recognize this is the funniest sentence in the whole Bible. It's just bizarre. Right? So here are Jewish leaders saying we've never been enslaved. But the whole identity of the nation of Israel is God redeeming them from slavery. That's the whole identity. And they were in an occupied country. So you can imagine Jesus with this group of people, and they're saying, we've never been enslaved to anyone. And then the Russian militia walks by, and they're cowering. Not the Russian. It would be just like the Russian. (laughs) The Roman, right? I'm thinking back to 86 when I was in the Soviet Union, and when the soldiers walked by, you stopped talking. Um, You know, and they cower in fear. Wait, so, so first of all, they misinterpret freedom in political terms. But secondly, they don't even admit that even in political terms, that theirs is a history of bondage and slavery. Jesus revealed that freedom had to do with the kind of people we are and the kind of people we're becoming. Everyone who sins, he says, is a slave to sin. Freedom and slavery is not about political categories. Only. There is a political freedom, and it's not insignificant, but the deeper freedom Jesus is talking about is if we sin, we're a slave to sin. We're in bondage to our own desires. Second, Jesus could have said truth liberates because the best human life is oriented towards reality. We can't live a good human life if we're living in delusion. We have to have a sense of what does it mean to be a human being? What are the things that human beings are for? We find that sense in the creation story in Genesis, that we were made to reflect the image of God that he imprinted on us and to cultivate the world he created. Unless we understand the reality of human nature, we have no hope of understanding how to live a good life. But that's the philosopher, Jesus. But Jesus is more than a philosopher. There's more in this text. In the next slide, I don't know if you caught this in the gospel reading. Jesus says, the truth will set you free. And then a couple of sentences later, he says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. So the notion that the truth liberates us has one level when we're talking about truth a little bit abstractly, getting a good sense of reality. But there's a deeply personal element of truth here. The sun sets us free because the sun is the truth. Truth sets us free because truth is Jesus. The next slide, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus does not just show the way, he is the way. He does not just bring life, he is the life. He does not just reveal truth, he is the truth. He's more than a philosopher who teaches content, although he does teach content. He himself is the embodiment of truth. 
And liberation is going to be found in the person of Jesus. Not just the ideas he taught, although they contribute. The next slide, a a couple of sentences from the reading from Colossians. What do we mean that Jesus is the truth? For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I can imagine Paul just just running, almost running out of vocabulary to express the centrality of Jesus in all of reality. Jesus holds, in him all things hold together. He is the center of all reality. He is the truth. Because truth is about reality, and he is the center of reality. To know the truth in Scripture is to know what Nietzsche rejected, the deeper truth about God. It is to know what Kierkegaard called the essential truth, the truth that requires a commitment on our part. It's a truth that's deeply hidden, but not one that we find on ourselves because it has been revealed by God. We are not on a quest of trying to extract truth from a reality that is um, resistant to our endeavor. God has revealed himself in Christ. And he's revealed Jesus as the truth. And so this is not the domain, as Thomas Aquinas said, this is not the domain just of the intellectuals who can do the hard work to pronounce Kierkegaard. That wasn't Aquinas's quote, but um, which took me years to learn how to pronounce it, <laughs> um, or spell it for that matter. Um, No, this is available to everyone because God has revealed himself in the scriptures. Hidden truth is revealed. So let's go back to human freedom. Everyone wants to be free. It's part of our humanity. What are we looking for when we look for freedom? Not simply that our circumstances cooperate with our plans. That's normally what what I'm interested in. Not simply that we are able to be significantly independent or successful, financially, emotionally, relationally. We are looking for the kind of lives that reflect the reality. We want to be more fully human. We want to live into what God has created us to be. Not everyone will articulate it that way, but... As we peel back the layers, that's what everybody is looking for. Freedom is tied to our flourishing. We we are free when we live a life that reflects who we were made to be. So here's a thought experiment for you. Next slide. When when anyone, including yourself... (laughs) Worries about, is the gospel actually relevant to where people live? I think about the fruit of the Spirit. I think love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then I ask somebody, and sometimes that person's myself, is there, isn't this what makes for the best human life? Isn't this what I want to be part of my soul? Everybody wants to experience relationships characterized in this way. But it's the fruit of the Spirit. This list of character qualities that so perfectly captures what it means to be human and what it means to flourish as humans is the natural result, that's what the fruit means, an analogy with a vine, the natural result of the Spirit of God working in and through us. How is it that we attain this life? It's life in Jesus. As we embrace and experience him, he is the truth. He brings through his spirit, the spirit of truth, the life of truth within us. We begin to live as we trust and and take small steps of obedience and practice together. We begin to live lives that are lives of truth, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. It's a gift of Jesus that emerges as we seek him, because he is the truth. He is the center of all reality, and allow him to direct our lives. So as the band is coming up, I want to frame where we've been a little bit. Nietzsche is right that knowledge of this kind, this kind of truth, requires turning from our own selves, But he is wrong when he claims that this is oppressive. Turning from ourselves is turning from sin. Turning from my selfishness. Not that everything about us is sin, but it's a turning from my selfishness, my preference of myself over God and others, my disordered loves, and it's turning away from bondage. Because the one who sins is a slave to sin. It's not enough to turn away, we turn to. We turn to Jesus because he's the center of reality. And he brings liberation. The truth sets us free. Kierkegaard is right that it's not enough just to have the facts about this situation. If Jesus is the center of reality, there is no knowingness that doesn't involve a commitment to him. He elicits this commitment. We cast ourselves on his goodness and his mercy. The life to which Jesus calls us is the life of freedom. To turn to Jesus is to turn to freedom. We commit ourselves to him because he's the center. Now, startling news. Jesus is right. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Freedom is not gained through knowledge alone. It is through the person of Jesus. He is the one who straightens what is crooked in our lives. 
He produces his fruit in us. The spirit of truth produces this fruit. It's the fruit of the spirit. The truth, who is Jesus, actually does set us free. Let us pray that we encounter him. Join me in prayer. Jesus, I'm just grateful that hidden truth has been revealed. And we know that you are the center of all reality. And because we know these things, we cast ourselves on your mercy, your love, and and we, we embrace you and your work. And we're grateful that you are the one who produces in us the very things we most long for. Give us the grace and the strength to walk in this freedom. As Paul writes, it was for freedom that you set us free. Let us not be subject to slavery. For your glory, amen.